Yeah, that's going to be a really exciting day. And um, yeah, we'd love for you, if you have family or friends, just to be a part of a celebration like that. It, it's it's a, a wonderful thing to see a church that began in 100 years later. I, I, I don't know if they ever imagined that you all would be here uh, continuing the legacy of the church. It, it's quite amazing. You know, we've been studying Acts in everywhere Paul is going, he is establishing a body of believers. And if you look historically, church, as far as the church, you'll see a hundred years later, a thriving, growing, uh, uh, struggling, but getting through things. I mean, they are going through so much, but yet the church is still thriving. That's essentially what we're experiencing on that day. And I, I realized when Chad made the announcement for the marathon, I... I I realized, too, that I need to let you know, Chad and I decided not to run the marathon because we're going to be at man camp. But I know you expected it of us, but we're, we're going to pass, you know, for ministry, for ministry. Um, let's pray, and then we'll get it. We'll get, hey, thank you. Yeah. Uh, God, we thank you so much for today. God, we thank you that um, these, these uh, events that are coming up, um, and the one we just had with women's ministry, we thank you for these wonderful moments to grow. That, God, the world is, is, is so wild around us, uh, it feels like um, sometimes. But, God, you are that, that, that um, anchor in the middle of a storm. And so, God, for all the women who experienced that at the retreat, of just a, a grounding into who you are in the midst of a, a, a chaotic life. God, I, I pray for the same thing as we go to man camp as well, that we, we have those moments with you, that we are reminded of who you are and who we are to you. And so, God, I just thank you for that. And God, just pray for your continual blessing on this church. And God, just pray that as we get into Acts 17, God, that we see this church and us as a church experience something that is so powerful for today maybe needed more now than ever. And God, is that is how to present your gospel to a generation or to a people that do not know you. And so God, we love you. We ask that you, rep we, we are strengthened and encouraged to be representatives, ambassadors for you to the world. In Jesus' name, amen. So last week, yes, we were in the middle of the sermon and I had to stop and that's, that's like, not does never happen, but I want to be able to finish that message and a little bit more today. Last week, if you were not here, we were talking about contextualizing the gospel, which is the title of the message. What do you do when you go into an area where people do not know who Christ is? Is the first thing to do is to start all the way at Z, or do you go to A? Meaning this, like when you're into an area or in a conversation with someone who know, knows you've a level of God, but doesn't really know much about God, doesn't know scripture, do you just start with quoting a bunch of scriptures or do you start from somewhere else? This is what I loved about Paul. Everywhere he went, he contextualized the gospel. In most cases, all throughout the book of Acts, which is a 30-year journey plus of, of the story of the development of the church. That's what Acts is. Sometimes you'll see 10 years go by. In, in this story, and you're like, wow, we're already here a few chapters later. So we're getting this glimpse of what 
is happening within the church. In every different area Paul is going to, we see that he engages them a little differently. Traditionally, Paul would show up and he would go right to the synagogue, which is what his context was. So he would go to the synagogue and he would start with scripture in his presentation of the gospel. And that's what we should always do when we're talking about Christ. We're talking about the scriptures in the Old Testament that are prophesying to this moment. It made perfect sense that he was speaking to a people who were familiar with scripture. But oh, something changes because he arrives in Athens. And they, they, they are not speaking at the, he's not speaking at the synagogue at this speech we're going to read. He's talking to a people who have no idea, maybe an inkling that there's a Yahweh, but no idea of, of Scripture, don't, aren't familiar with it. He can't pull on those things, so he comes from somewhere else. So the whole thing is communicating the gospel that, that, that feels at home in someone's cultural context. We have to, as Christians today do our very best to make sure we're continually getting out of the bubble. I love the bubble. Anybody bubble people here? I love the bubble. I like knowing that who I'm talking to, we share the same values. We share the same faith. It enriches each other. We iron sharpens iron. We build each other up. We encourage each other. It's a wonderful place to be, and you should be there as much as you can. But... To only live in that bubble makes us ineffective for the gospel, makes us ineffective for the mission that God has. You developing and growing personally so you can be the best version of you is not the goal of the gospel. I don't know if you maybe heard what I said. It is not the goal in the mission of the gospel that you become the best version of you. The goal of the gospel is that you as an ambassador would then go into foreign lands, if you will, meaning even your neighbor, and then sharing the gospel in whatever form possible. We need a constant reminder. Acts is a fantastic example of that. In Acts, Paul in Athens is a fantastic example of crossing lines, pushing barriers, going places where maybe a Christian would feel uncomfortable, which Paul, in some sense, does when he gets there. Remember this saying from Paul, I have become all things to all people. That phrase does not work real well today in our cultural context, does it? It doesn't. Division is so prevalent. Dividing lines, stereotyping, racial divides, I mean, it, you name it, they are all over the place that will group people away from other people, ultimately, in some ways, making us unfamiliar with other people, cultures, ways of life. But Paul is saying, I become all things to all people. Every believer should have this scripture on their heart. All things to all people. Now, we, ha we have to say that Jesus was the greatest contextualizer of all time. He is in heaven. He has created the universe. And yet he takes on flesh and becomes one of us. To relate, to connect, to lead, to show, ultimately to die. 
So if you think that by going out and, and, and getting to know or familiar with someone else's ways of living and thinking or how they view life is not Christian, I think that you don't know and, or, or maybe understand that Jesus modeled this directly. Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. And he was following Christ as he was on his way into Athens. And I said this last week, and I heard some people say, yeah, that made more sense, so maybe I'll say it again, is that if, if you don't think contextualizing the gospel is, is something we should do, just this children's ministry is doing it right now to our kids. You know, like we, we said last week, you don't talk to kids the way you would speak to other adults. You have to get down on your knee. You have to look them in the eye. You have to be like, hey, do you want this little puff before we talk about Jesus? Right? It's different. I did youth ministry for so many years, and I had to endure an unbelievable amount of cultural context that I was aged out of. I'd be like, tell me more about this uh, YouTube you know of, right? This is when this first happened. What is this YouTube? Okay, show me the Facebook, right? This is outrageous, but to reach a teenager at those times, I had to do it. I had to have conversations about teenage drama that you're like, oh, can't you just do the right thing? But you got to make sure you are understanding their culture, who they are, to be able to relay the gospel to them. Contextualized is one of these things that's not going to be based on marketing. It's not going to be based on loosening the way we all live so we can fit culture. It's not what contextualizing the gospel means at all. Contextualizing is meaning that we are then learning and understanding and studying, becoming students of the culture around us to be able to present the gospel. And if it starts at a simple place, we, we remember this from last week, it always will end with the resurrection of Christ. We may start at a simple place, it may end, but we're going to end with the gospel. Um, Paul shows us this, like we said last week, with the city of Berea. These Bereans were people who, when Paul came, they were the first ones at the synagogue not to fight him. And they were like, well, this is interesting what you're saying. I, I, I think this is, means they're scripturally secure. And so I'm going to go through it. I'm going to look and see what you're saying might be pointing to the Messiah. Show me Isaiah again. Show me a psalm again that is pointing to the Messiah. Show me again what, what, what God says to David about the future king. Show me these things. I, oh, wow. We, there might be a Messiah. That, that, that's where Paul started because they were scripturally secure. They were scripturally literate. But when you're speaking to someone, quoting a Bible verse to them will mean nothing to them. You have to start somewhere else. Now, Paul started with the Bereans with scripture, ended in resurrection. With Athens, he doesn't start with scripture. He starts with one of their gods that they're worshiping that they don't know what it is. That's where he starts. We have to make sure that we are conscious of that when we are ministering to people. Last week, we started going into, okay, how do, how do you engage someone like Paul in Athens to a scripturally deprived culture or people? And there's a few ways he did it, which we went through, uh, at least one of them last week, which was he paid attention to what he saw and how it made, how it made him feel. What did he see and how did it make him feel? What stirs our hearts when we see something? And how does it make us feel? Paul was very good about that. Just won't read the whole passage, but in, six, in verse 16, he, the Bible says that when he saw all these idols, it provoked his spirit. It disturbed him. 
Why did it disturb Paul? Do you think he was offended by the idols? Absolutely not. He was very secure in who God is and who Christ is. What disturbed him is how lost and chasing after nothing that these people were doing. A whole city confused about who God was. That disturbed Paul. And, you know, another thing that we saw is Paul speaking to a group, and particularly these two groups, because they bring him to a place called the Areopagus. And this was where the great philosophers of that time would go and discuss religion, politics. It, it was an important group, by the way, because they had a level of judicial authority given to them by the Romans. So when they say, hey, we, we're interested in what you're saying, Paul. Like, you're talking about a foreign god. Why don't you come here? Because foreign gods don't get talked about in the open square. you got to come here to get it approved. And if it's not approved, I guarantee you this group would have exiled him. This is, it wasn't him just getting an opportunity to give like this little TED talk. This was in a way whether you're coming back to Athens or whether you have to leave and be escorted off the land. But these people in Athens were very curious. They wanted to know. Everything new that was coming their way. They were very curious about new discoveries, new things, new thinking. This two group I talked about, this two main philosophies that I talked about, one of them believes that the end goal in life is pleasure. That's the way they live their life, pleasure. Their motto was, don't fear God, don't fear evil, Good things are going to come. Bad things are going to come. We just exist. The gods have left us here stranded. And we want to live like the gods, distant and disconnected, but for pleasure. And I said last week, this would be the group that would be considered like the YOLO group, right? They just want to live for today. And then there was the Stoic group. And why I'm saying these is because you'll hear it in Paul's sermon, his speech, that he is dealing with both of them. And he is not just confronting them, but he's agreeing. We're going to get in that in a second. And then bringing them along to resurrection. Then there was the Stoic philosophy. And the Stoic philosophy was pretty simple. Live according to rational principles, values. We're connected to everything. Right? But no matter what happens, be rational. That was kind of it. They had this stiff upper lip type of mentality. And so last week we talked about one of the things you do when you engage a different culture is you see and see what moves you towards them. And the other part was the part of Paul's sermon, which is affirmation. He affirms who they are and presently what they are about. It's so hard when we go and we just go directly against people in a directly in a confrontational way where Paul actually says, I see what you're doing. He says, I see you must be very religious. You're worshiping all these gods. And, 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 and I, I think that it's something you're very committed to. But there is this one God I saw that you're worshiping is this unknown God. You didn't know who to worship. So you just thought, let's not leave anybody out. I want to talk to you about that unknown God. That's a beautiful entrance into understanding someone, seeing who they are, knowing what's going on, how it makes you feel, but then also affirming their desire for what they're trying to accomplish. Not, not approving it. I would say he's affirming that he sees 
some, some good in their drive to want something. They're just misguided. Then the second part we'll see in the sermon, this is where we'll pick up from last week, is this agreement. He agrees with some of the things that they care about. And he does it in an interesting way. He wants to first affirm it, but then he wants to get them so that we can see that we agree on some things. We see some things mutually. Paul focused on what they agreed on or have in common. Do you, have you ever been on Twitter? It is like a place where you go to tell people how you disagree with them. Have you noticed this? It is a dangerous place. It's where people go to fight. It's the gladiator arena of our world now. It is wild, these keyboard warriors. And I just think, like, this, this is a place where you go to make sure you know, let people know where you disagree. But Paul is finding a place where we, we, we can agree on some things. I think today we have so many divisions of differences. This is an important thing for us to remember, that that doesn't get anywhere, anywhere closer to the gospel. I think Christians, if you can think of yourself, Christians are bridge builders. We build bridges. We, we do not build up and fortify walls so we never have to interact with some. We build bridges. We're constantly looking to seek to build a bridge. We're peace bringers. We make peace. We do not bring war. Verse 24, the God who made, this is a sermon, the God who made the world and everything. Now listen to the everything's the alls. They're very important. The God who made the world and everything in it, being the Lord of heaven and earth. I'll stop here. Why this is important and quite shocking for these people is because their gods, their pantheon of gods, Zeus, right, you know, all these, they were bound to the earth. But then the God of heaven and earth. So now he's elevating the God, the unknown God they're looking for is the God that created an over authority of everything. He does not live in temples made by man, nor does he serve, is served by human hands as though he needed anything since he himself gives all mankind life and breath and everything. He gives them life and breath and everything. Now, he is quoting a scripture, but you wouldn't know it. But he's quoting a scripture that is very much in line with what the Stoics believe. And also, his intro into that quoting of scripture is what the Epicureans hold to be true. That the gods don't live here. The gods don't need all this stuff. Epicurean. The Stoics is that God is in life and everything and every breath. Do you see why it's important to know those who you are encountering because he brings them into agreement. That quote, right, that he gives mankind life and breath and everything comes from Isaiah 42. Isaiah 42 is a very strong messianic prophecy of who Jesus is and what God is doing. So Isaiah 42.5 says, Thus says the Lord who created the heavens and the earth and stretched them out, which will play into the next part who spread out the earth um, of what comes from it, it, who gives birth to people and the spirit to those who walk in it. He's pulling this right from Scripture. And this is why it's so important that we know Scripture. We know the Word so we can rightly handle a conversation 
as best as we possibly can. Verse 26, when we're talking about agreement. He made from one man every nation of all of, of mankind to live on all the face of the earth. And so he's uniting, saying, I, I am from the same source you're from. Therefore, I must respect you the same way I respect myself. Because we're all, in a way, family. I think that's something the world needs to know more and more and more. I believe if Joseph Stalin would have believed and embraced that, he wouldn't have murdered 100 million people. I believe that those of us who can possess that truth, that we're looking at someone who is God's child, we would maybe approach things differently. So he's uniting them under the fact that we all are one. And listen to this. We're all one and we're all in the same conditions. Having determined allotted periods and boundaries of their dwelling places, that they, may, that they should seek God and perhaps feel toward him and find him. Yet, he is actually not far from us. Um, you don't have to answer this, but before you were a Christian, did you, if you look back at just the way you were going through life, did you, can you relate to that of like feeling your way? You're just trying to figure it out. You know what I'm talking about? You're just trying to, and you're like, oops, I shouldn't have gone there. Oh, no, it was a big mistake. Have you, have you been there? Do you know what I'm talking about? Can you relate? You tried to find what life was about somewhere, and it wasn't there. You tried to find it in a relationship, but it ended. You tried to find it in some kind of euphoric feeling, but it wasn't there. You tried to find it in money, but you realized there was an emptiness at the end of that. You tried, you're feeling your way around for almost the way of significance. So he says, yeah, you actually are not far from us. Again, he's appealing to both sides in this group. And then here's where he goes the extra step. And here's where we as students of the gospel and students of, uh, of following Christ is that we learn from this really good lesson. He, Paul, had educated himself on even their very ph philosophers, the ones who set the terms in a way for gods and worship and God worship and ideas and theories. And he had familiarized himself. And here's what he says. He quotes one of their people in their history, who they would have respected, who established the culture they were currently living in. In him, this is it. We live and we move and we have our being. And as for some of uh, your own poets have said, for we indeed are his offspring, he takes those two pieces he has become familiar with and he perfectly places them into the progression heading towards resurrection heading towards faith in Christ. Because Paul's ultimate goal, which he writes in Thessalonians, is to tell people to serve the one true God, you must turn from your idols. And so he is leading them in a direction that they need to go. So he quotes things that were very dear to them that they knew. Now, I don't mean you need to start going through TikTok and become an expert on TikTok. Maybe I don't mean that you have to um, familiarize yourself with every material there is out there, but some things, yes. If I was a Democrat and I wanted to have a conversation with a Republican, I surely would want to know what they believe and think and are passionate about so we could connect. But if I didn't want to know, then I could just get entrenched more what I think and they can get it more entrenched and we can fight. So these are the kind of things that we have to be as believers those who can 
build bridges. I think I was telling you like several weeks ago about this person who was coming to seek about, about faith. And they were very much in a new age type of religion. And I'll just recap it shortly. They, they, they believed that they should be here after a tragic incident with somebody that they loved came here. And felt like, this is what they told me, I'm an imposter here at church because I, I don't feel like I'm, I should be here. Because I believe all these things about this new age type of movement. And I, I, I believe them deeply. And I just said, hey, that's absolutely fine. I'm so glad that you're here. Do me a favor and do me a little homework. Why don't you go ahead and list out all the things that are these values, these things that you see that are so important in what you've learned and studied over all these years. And why don't you go ahead and draw a connection once you read the book of Luke, John, Mark, Matthew, and, and, and where Jesus represents one of those values. Why don't you just make note of it all along the way and see that these things that you're seeking that are somewhat unknown. Do you see what I'm doing here? I'm just ripping Paul off. That are somewhat unknown and connect them to Jesus. And I bet you, you will see that they're very much what you care about deeply. And I have a name for you, though. And she said when she did it, I think it took her a month that it was one of the most important things she could do is that it gave her an understanding of greatly of what she's deeply desiring. It's embodied in Christ. Think about all the ways that people are searching for peace. How do we meet them there? Think about all the ways people are looking for wholeness. How do we meet them there? Significance, purpose. These are the greatest problems in our culture, significance and purpose and wholeness and peace. It's on the hearts of all people. How do you reach them there? Let's try to have that mindset of Paul. What can we agree on? How can we build bridges here so I can share with you what you worship as an unknown God you've been searching around and trying to find? I have a name for you. The other thing he does is first he sees and feels, he affirms their, 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 their passion to try to reach it. Then he finds an agreement, some common ground, and then he does challenge, though. I think too many Christians, we spend time doing the first three. We agree, we find common ground, but then we, we stop because we're afraid of the challenge. We're afraid that they might get offended if we challenge them on some things that we see that Christ calls for. But Paul brings them to reason why they should rethink their life. He doesn't just leave them as like, oh yeah, we see kind of eye to eye here. This is kind of good. Let's be friends. He says, yes, we see these things. I see what you're searching for and I have to challenge you now. So verse 29, being then, he requotes their poet, God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the heart and imagine, by art and imagination of man, the time of ignorance got overlooked, right? But now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Do you realize what Paul is saying? It's, it, it, it is a challenge like no other challenge. This is a good group to challenge, though, because they're kind of iffy on all the worship in a way, too, especially the Epicureans. And so he is kind of challenging them in a way. 
challenges their culture, the way they engage in worship of God. He's challenging them in their perceptions of God. He's challenging them and saying, this time where you were feeling your way around, that time of ignorance is over because I'm here telling you the truth. Now something changes. Please don't just think by connecting to someone else is all we do. We have to follow Paul's model, is then we challenge them. And I don't mean in an angry way. I don't mean in a fighting way. I mean in a way that challenges the very things they're chasing after that never, ever, ever fulfill them and their misperception of God. We challenge them to then now consider to leave it. It's a big ask, don't you think? Uh, we, we don't... We don't do this now. We're so far removed from this ancient cultures. But if you've ever studied ancient cultures, I first got this realization when I was studying ancient Egypt. I love ancient Egypt. You, you want to sit down and talk ancient Egypt? We could talk all day. I love it. I started to get a realization that everything went through the cult temple worship. Their whole way of life, their whole economy, everything went through the temple worship. If you wanted to challenge another ruler, you then begin to get a bunch of people around your God that was a smaller God, but elevate that God to the higher God above their God and rally these people around you. And you could literally gain power that way. All of the money went through it. This is why Pharaoh always wanted to make sure that those priests didn't get too popular so he would annihilate them at times so that way or take too much of the money. Everything went through that. Now, why am I telling you this? Because in Greek culture, we have to remember, we're, this group he's talking to, this is no small ask. How about this? Let me relate it to you. What if I said, listen, I need you to turn away from your phone. <laughs> Oh, God, no. Oh, no. Oh, no, 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 no. I need you to turn, turn away from your phone and leave it and never go back to it again. This is the level of ask. I was saying a couple weeks ago, I've seen people dive in water to try to get their iPhone, break their neck, run into an, a, a burning building and then to get their phone and then they die. Like, I mean, okay, so... It's all-encompassing. It's everything about these people's lives. So when Paul is showing up, this is no small task. And this is no small ask. It's a total earth-shaking change he's asking for. And if we think that we can tiptoe around idolatry, if we can tiptoe around allegiance with God, he will not have it. He is asking for devotion. I think idolatry ultimately is a man's misguided attempt to have relationship with God, to search for something bigger and greater, more meaningful. That's idolatry. And this is their misguided approach to God. But I think this, God's idea of relationship with mankind is fixed, how he views you. Just so you know, if you ever wonder how God views you, he has a fixed view on who you are. You are his child. He, was, he sent his son to die for you. He made you. He created you. He knows your life. He knows when you'll die. He wants you to stand before him in right standing. God is very fixed on how he is with us. 
that mankind is not fixed. This is why they create idols. He, God is having one relationship with people and they're having another relationship with him. Do you, do you, feel, do you feel me? Do you understand? They are trying to worship God in a way he is not wanting to be worshipped. The Israelites ran into this all the time. They are trying to worship God in a way where he says, that's disgusting to me what you're doing. You are trying to have a relationship with me that is not me, and I have a relationship with you that doesn't change. So he is calling all people to be in right relationship with him and worship him in the right way that he wants to be in relationship. Listen to Isaiah 55. Seek the Lord. While we may be found, call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may be, have compassion on him and to, uh, and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. I mean, God is looking for all people who are seeking him to, to be found and to be abundantly pardoned. This is... This is the mantle that we hold as believers to bring him to all people. So we see that ultimately Paul presents the challenge. And we as believers cannot withhold the challenge. It's not mean to challenge someone when they have, are giving their whole life to something that is fruitless and meaningless and will pass away and say, I want to challenge you on that. The very last piece is truth and accountability. Paul gives them truth and accountability. Now look at how he started. Unknown God, and now we're moving to truth and accountability. Paul loves them too much to hold back. He does. He loves them too much to hold back. He's got to tell them the truth. Do you ever watch those end-of-days movies? The world's coming to an end, right? Do you know what I'm talking about? Do you ever notice the same thing every time? The government knows before everyone else and tries to keep it from the people. Do you know what I'm talking about? And what do they always say? Oh, we can't let the people know. Because if they do, there'll be pandemonium. It'll be crazy. People, people will go wild. There'll be lawlessness. So let's just keep the truth from them, even though imminent doom is coming their way. And this is exactly what Paul knows. Is if He knows they will stand before God one day. And you must tell them the truth. We can't be like those governments in those movies and just, oh, hold it back and just, ooh, let's not tell them because that, that doesn't comfortable to tell everyone. Paul tells them the truth. He says this, verse 31, because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness. Now, why does he say that? Because he's letting them know that one day you will stand before God and he will judge you with fair balance. He will judge you without tipped scales. He is a righteous and fair judge. He says, righteousness by a man whom he appointed. And this is his introductory to one man we were all made from. He, he spans the whole time. And life unraveled. And another man who we can find hope in. And here's what he says. He goes on to say, by a man who he has appointed, and of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. This, this is paramount. Because he is saying that there is a way 
There's another way. There's a, a solution for what you're talking about. Paul's not holding it back. He's saying God is going to judge this world. It will be a right, just, righteous God. But the world will nevertheless be judged. And God has given us assurance through this man, a different life. I think this, this is kind of my little notes about that passage. Is I think God sees our life, right? He sees our life to be able to make a judgment. God is very present in your life to be able to be a right, righteous judge. And I think original man cost humanity. But the new man paid that loss. And that's what Paul is sharing. Original man cost us. But the new man, Christ, paid the price. We have to allow people to know the truth. And I think resurrection in Christ is our confidence and connection to God. That's why Paul brings it. That this life has life beyond life. This life is so much more than what we see around us. And resurrection is what you can have. I think this, a righteous judgment is coming, followed by restoration of all things. When Paul is saying this, when I say that God is going to judge the world one day, what I'm saying is on the other side of it is and he, because he's restoring all things. He's making all things new. And through his son, we're part of that. And so there's, there's, there's an accountability moment, but then there's a, also hope and restoration in this world. I'll finish up with this last verse, verse 32 when they had heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. And that is what we'll face. Listen, I've been told I'm dumb for what I believe many times. And it, 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 I get it. I understand why they would say that. I had someone walk in who was new to the church and is like, what is everybody singing to? They're singing to an invisible God. What, 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 there's, it's weird. I, get, I 100% get it. There are sometimes people who will not understand, and, and, and you might face ridicule for that, but it's all for God's glory because you're presenting the gospel so others are made known the truth. The reason why they got mad about the resurrection, just historically, the, the Areopagus was supposedly founded by Apollo, son of Zeus, and this is the words of wisdom that they believe Apollo gave them which is this, and quoting exactly, when dust has soaked up a person's blood, once he is dead, there is no resurrection. They, 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 it was right in the, that's why they, that moment is when it became an issue. Because it went against everything that they had known to believe. And this is why sometimes the gospel falls sometimes hard on the heart and ears of another person. Because it goes against everything that they know. But we have to let things play out as they do. We did what we were called to do. And it goes on to say, but others said, oh, we will hear you again about this. We would like to hear it. So Paul went out from their midst, but some men joined him and believed, among whom was Dionysus, the Areopagite, and a woman named Damaris, and with, and, and, and with others with them. Uh, it does, we, we can't control who resonates with the gospel. How many times did you hear the gospel before you became a believer? 
can I ask one participation thing? If you heard the gospel for 10 years and finally made a decision, would you raise your hand? Right? You finally, it finally made its way. So we can't just say, well, I guess they're lost and going to hell. You're wrong. You're, you're wrong. You should never assume that. Some, some, God is stirring the hearts and calling all people to himself. If it's not you in that moment, it'll be someone else in another moment, just like you who raised your hands. You heard the gospel over and over. Eventually, I heard it my whole life and rejected it. And finally, I made the decision. Let me give you a, a reflection here for you and a challenge. Do we stay in our bubbles? Do we stay in our lane? The Spirit is within us and makes us bold. If you don't have boldness, pray for it. If you don't have courage, pray for it. The Spirit is capable to go far beyond what your abilities are, and He should. And when it comes to the gospel, definitely do not stay in your bubble and do not stay in your lane. How active are we in trying to understand even the culture around us? If you want to reach somebody, you got to know where they come from. you got to earn that respect. You gotta earn that mutual ground. And you can't walk away and say, well, I guess they didn't want to know Jesus. I'm like, wow, you didn't do the Athens approach. You went the Berean approach, but they weren't Bereans, they were Athens. So don't give me that. So we have to make sure how much do we understand the culture or the life or the background of people we're reaching. My challenge to you is this: like Paul, look, observe. And understand the audience that you are with for the gospel's sake. When I was with those teenagers, do you, I, I'm telling you what. There was a lot of inward eye rolls going on when they would talk to me. I'm not going to lie. But I did it for the gospel's sake. I did it at the end of the day for these kids to at some point find the bridge that I can point them to and guide and direct them. You, you, you are talking and communicating with people that you're building the bridge for the gospel's sake. Do it for the gospel's sake. Could you guys bow your heads? I think it's, I think it's just a way of life. And Paul does a good job of laying it out for us. And, and, and for an accountability for every Christian and how they preach the gospel and share it with others. One is you will begin differently with different people. You, you will be all things to all people, like Paul says. To the Bereans, you start with scripture. To the Athens, you start with the unknown God. But you're always going to end in Jesus. And you're always going to end with the resurrection. You're always going to end with redemption. You're always going to end with accountability, though. There's like a moment that people have to experience what it means to know the truth and be accountable to it. But on the other end of that is resurrection, restoration, life. I probably won't be able to speak this hard on a topic like evangelism past Acts 17 because Paul's journey takes different routes. So it's probably why I want to push so hard here and why Luke was it was important for Luke to document this there was no significant church that came out of Athens not like Corinth not like Thessalonians sandwiched on both ends of Athens on the trip 
Paul put this in here as a good roadmap and a reminder for believers to step outside the bubble. There are lost people everywhere. And they don't know what they do not, what they do not know. And then our mission is to bring it to them through loving them, being stirred by what we see around us, driven with compassion, motivated to find an agreement and, and find a, a level of being in accord in a way, affirming them, challenging them, and bringing truth and accountability so that they can experience the restoration and resurrection you experienced. I believe in you guys. I believe in our church. I believe that God has placed you all on a mission and path and given you a mission field. And I believe that God will guide you in that. And I pray for you in boldness and strength and wisdom and, and tenacity and bravery all throughout this week. So God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for people, people that you are placing in our path every day. And God, help us become students of who they are, students of what they are looking for and searching for, God. And God, help us become students of Scripture to be able to meet those needs with truth. And that, God, that we are people who are ambassadors who represent restoration and salvation. I thank you for that, God. This is not a time in the world that believers run. God, this is not a time in the world where we just huddle together in our holy little huddles and we feel good. God, this is a time where you are pushing us out into the world, like Jerusalem. And that's why the gospel went everywhere. But this is a time now under pressure sometimes to go out and be more bold to share the gospel, life-changing scripture, life-changing transaction. We love you, God. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me this last song before we dismiss?